This is Face First with Ryan Clark. That was off now. <laughs> That's my boy Sconey. This is the first episode of Face First. Uh, and I'm excited. This was supposed to happen for me next week. And then I got involved with Jamal Adams this week and some of the trade deadline stuff with the New York Jets. Obviously, I was a huge part of the Antonio Brown story, the Jalen Ramsey story. And so this all kind of led me to thinking about how are athletes taking their careers and their voices in their own hands and now the public backlash of that or the way the organizations see it and the way that it's perceived by media, by fans, fans of teams and the different ways that these athletes now have to deal with what's going on each day and the opportunities they have to brand themselves. And that's something that the league hasn't been a part of. That's something that this league doesn't understand. I've always said that the separation of labor and ownership in the NFL is as big as it is in any sport, definitely of the four major sports. And now we see the type of relationships between the GMs and the executives and the players. And we're talking star players. This is not just the run of the mill guy that you use to fill a team in the NFL. These are the safeties that are drafted sixth overall and become all pros in year two. The corners that go high in the draft, top 10, that transform your team from a position that they play and also from the way that they play the games with passion. The quarterbacks that you draft, number one overall that were walk-ons and then Heisman Trophy winners and the way that they are now changing the dynamic of how players are seen. You go back to the start of this year. This is not the year of the black quarterback as we've seen written by the undefeated. This is the year of the player's voice. This is the year the players took control of the narrative. You go back to Antonio Brown. There's usually times that when a player says he wants to be traded or when a player does the things that he has done when you betray a head coach, when you betray a quarterback, when you go back and you talk about the team's now new number one receiver, you don't get another chance. And that's what organizations have been used to. They've been used to calling their homeboys, their friends, their other GM buddies, the other owners, and being able to say, you know what, you can't pick up Antonio Brown. But what happens? He goes and gets 30-plus guaranteed from Oakland. And then while in Oakland, you have a situation to where he gets into a cryo chamber and now his feet are frostbitten so he can't practice. And he records conversations between he and his head coach and makes YouTube videos. He has an on-field argument with his GM. He assues and appeals to the league to wear a certain helmet and eventually gets his wish and he's out of there. He makes a video. He's running through his backyard excited because 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 I'm gone. Mama, they set me free. Grandma, I'm good. And he runs around and you think to yourself, man, if somebody is watching this, there is no way that this guy gets another chance. But what happened? He got another chance. And it wasn't just another chance in the sense that he got to go play for an NFL team. He got to go play for the NFL team, for the organization, the New England Patriots. And even as more things surfaced and there were allegations of him doing things off the field, still Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, the GOATs, respectively as a head coach and a quarterback, they still wanted to keep this guy because his voice, because who he was didn't matter 
because he could play. He was actually bigger than two organizations to the New England Patriots. He was bigger than the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was bigger than the Oakland Raiders. And we still wanted that guy because he was that good. He controlled where he wanted to go. He said he didn't want to be a Pittsburgh Steeler anymore, and he wasn't. But he got two more opportunities. That's not the league we're used to. I'm on air with Mike Tannenbaum during the NFL trade deadline special, and he says, I believe that if Antonio Brown got some of his off-the-field stuff handled, if some of the things and some of the allegations, some of the investigations were put to rest, that he'd get another chance to play. Mike Tannenbaum said he visited Plexico Burris in jail. You hear that? He visited him in jail because if you can play, it's bigger than having a voice people that people don't want to hear. It's bigger than having a reputation that people might not want to deal with. It's bigger than the perception of you being a certain thing. And when you get to this point, when you can build your brand that makes you stand outside of a helmet, outside of a logo, outside of a number or a name on the back of a jersey, that's different. And for many people, that's not football. Jalen Ramsey, one of the best talents at corner that I believe we've ever seen. Obviously one of, the, one of the best in the game today. A guy doing it at a level that only Stephon Gilmore can really be considered even doing it the same way he is. He's what Pat Peterson used to be, what Richard Sherman used to be. Maybe even more talented than, than those guys. Gets it to it with Doug Marone over a call. He wanted a flag thrown because he felt what I do for this team, I should be trusted. That should be valued. I should be treated a certain way. And he wasn't. But even with that, he said he put that to rest. That no longer was the, uh, an item to him. That no longer was a thing. He and Doug Marone had squashed that. And so now you go into a meeting with Jim Caldwell, the GM, with Tom Coughlin, the president, and, and they stand over you and you're in a meeting and they're telling you how they disagree with the way you go about doing business. And that business is football. Let's all understand that football is a business. And they speak to him like he's not even a man, not necessarily not even a player. They, they say things to him that Jalen Ramsey put it, you wouldn't say to me if we were in another space. You wouldn't talk to me in this manner if we weren't in your office, if you, want, if you weren't holding the cards. And he leaves that meeting and he calls his agent, who's a, an amazing agent, David Mulligetta, and says, you know what, I can't be here anymore. Now, David says, you know what, you sleep on this. Let's not make this decision right now. Let's not be hasty in where we are going with this. But you sleep on it and you call me in the morning and you let me know. And when he woke up in the morning, he felt the same exact way. Same exact way. So he goes to a press conference and he tells, he tells the people, he tells the media, tells his teammates, I'm here for you guys. I want to be here. Until it's time for me to go, I'm going to play. I'm going to try to win football games because in the end, that's what I want to do. But I don't want to be here any longer. I want to find my way out. So he plays on Thursday. He balls. And then he's out for three weeks with a back injury. So during that time, he meets with Shad Khan. And Shad Khan tries to figure out a way that he could stay. And he says, I, he told me personally, I don't want to call for anyone's job. That's not what I want to do. This just isn't the place for me. And eventually, Jalen Ramsey never misses the game check, and he goes to the defending NFC Championship Los Angeles Rams 
for two first rounders and a fourth. That was his voice. That was his decision. That was his doing. His actions put that into place. That's not the NFL we know. And if you see many reactions to my one-on-one interview with Jalen Ramsey or the reactions on Twitter now that Jamal Adams comes out and says that Joe Douglas met with him on the Friday before trade deadline, told him that he wouldn't be moved, and now he is taking calls on Jamal Adams, and he talks about his frustrations, and he expresses those frustrations. Now he's not a team guy. Now Jamal Adams is selfish. We don't want him here. But that's not what you're saying when your team that only has one win on the season is playing, and he's playing harder than everybody else in green and white. When he's doing more than everybody else in green and white. When he was an all-pro last year in the Pro Bowl, when ever since he stepped on the field, he's changed the way that that team has played defense, changed the way that that team has moved from a chemistry and culture standpoint. That's all he's ever done. But you, you stick with Joe Douglas, who comes in after all these moves are made. You stick with Adam Gase, who has a quarterback who's saying he's seen ghosts and they're not changing those things. You still want to be behind Sam Darnold because even though he's playing terrible, he's playing terrible quietly. Because that's what we value. You, you do your job and you do it quietly. You don't, you don't have a voice because you are an athlete, because you are in the 1% of people, because you get to do something on TV every week that we all wish we could do, you don't get to be human. You don't get to feel disrespected. And now, you can't tell Joe Douglas he can't field calls. You can't tell Joe Douglas that he can't see if he can get a better offer and more draft picks to give away his best players. But we also can't tell Jamal Adams he can't be upset about it. You can't tell him he can't be pissed off that he was told one thing and then something else went on behind behind the scenes. Because with communications, what people don't understand, with communication, you can talk to a real man. You can tell a real man, you know what, this team is so bad that if we get the right call for you, if we get the right type of compensation for Jamal Adams, then we will make a move. Or that when these calls are taken, we will take these calls, we will explore all options that make us a better team. Because that is business. But the one thing about this business is that it's personal for players. It's personal for me because I've worked my whole life to be here and now the strings that are being pulled aren't being pulled by me unless it's Sunday. And that's a hard reality. It's a hard reality that even if I speak and even when I speak, it's always going to be seen from a team perspective because individually I can't win a championship individually I can't hoist the sticky Lombardi and in the end that's what it's always about and so the team is always going to come first because when those numbers change when the names on the back of the jerseys change then I'm still going to cheer for that team I'm still going to cheer for that guy that wears 33 even though it's no longer you but that's not the reality for a player the reality for a player is when somebody else is wearing this jersey We aren't wearing it anymore, ever. When we shut it down, when you file those papers, and sometimes even not even when you follow, when somebody else files them for you, it's over. And we don't get it back. 
you don't get to run it back. And that's a difficult thing to accept. And so now I love that players are taking their careers in their own hands and saying, you know what, I'm going to drive the bus. I'm going to steer the car that controls my career. And then you move on and now you see the, the flag Baker Mayfield gets for just being different at quarterback because we're so used to our Peyton Mannings. We're so used to our Tom Brady's. We're so used to these guys doing business a certain way and living a certain way that we can't deal with anything that's unfamiliar. I believe Cam Newton deals with this, but even on a new degree in the new guys, Baker Mayfield, because he doesn't talk and walk and move the way we like it, we have an issue with it. But that's the new age. That's what we're going to have to get used to. These are, these are the five-star babies. These are the guys who are written about since they're four years old. We're going to have to understand these things and get with the times. You don't get to recruit these kids and post pictures of them as they're going toward the Thorpe Award and then feel differently about them when they're just being the same person that they are and they feel wronged or they feel wronged. When Trent Williams sits out and stays at his house and doesn't report until a couple of hours before the trade deadline because he has to at that point because he wants to be moved because his treatment, because his medical health was mishandled, we can't be mad at that. Because And we can't go and support these organizations 100% no matter what they do to these players, yet anytime a player speaks up, he's wrong. He has a right to take control of his body because he only gets one. He has a right to take control of his career because he only gets that one. And I think we're starting to miss these things and get so caught up. And it has to be for my, my team. You have to do everything to make sure my team works a certain way. You have to do and follow the rules that are set by another man who doesn't necessarily care about you. And that's where we are in this. The, the A.J. Greens who hasn't played this year but can't be moved and won't be moved but doesn't have a new contract, has to play on a one-year deal, who is one of the best playing the game at his position. He still has to wait to see what the Browns want to do. And that's the, the, the owners and the operators of the Bengals. Andy Dalton, who gets benched on his birthday right before the trade deadline, who can't be moved, has to deal with understanding that now, now I'm no longer the starter. I wish it would have been done at a different time, which gives me an opportunity to be somewhere else, but he has no control. What you control is what you say. You control how you're treated. You control the respect you give and the respect you feel like you earn and are treated back fairly. But that's not what it is. And so now we're in this world where these players have to understand that it is about them in the fact that they have to work to be not only a great player that helps their team win a championship, but a great player that sets their family up for life by the way they are perceived, perceived, by the way they handle their business each and every day. But more importantly, they have to make sure when they look in the mirror, and this is all over, they've given everything they can from a football physical perspective, and they've given their themselves every chance to respect all the moves they've made. And so I'm going to bring Marcus Spears on here soon so we can kind of get into some of these things and talk about the way Marcus Spears viewed the NFL when he was there, how he sees how differently these kids move in each and every way, and where he thinks and expects this to go. Because I can tell you the Jalen Ramseys, the Antonio Browns, 
the Baker Mayfields, the Trent Williams, the Ezekiel Elliott's who stays in Cabo and says, you know what, I'm not going to play until I get what I want. Until I get my 90 million, my, until I get my 50 guaranteed, I'm not coming play football. Players didn't do that, right? The quarterback club, they crossed the picket lines. The quarterback club went back to, went back to work. The scabs still played football. This is a new age. And if we're players, we can't speak out against players. I love Eric Weddle for supporting Jamal Adams. If we're players, we have to support what these young dudes are doing because what they're doing is they're trying to bridge the gap between labor and ownership. We got Marcus Spears coming up here soon, somebody I respect, moving up at ESPN, becoming one of the largest voices in football, both college and in the NFL. So he's seen a lot of these kids grow and young men grow and become who they are today. And we're extremely excited about that. We'll be right back with him. Face First with Ryan Clark is presented by DB Precision, a comprehensive defensive back training program for DBs by DBs. To learn more, log on to dbprecisiontraining.com. DB Precision, secondary to none. So I'm very excited on the first episode of Face First. I have one of my favorite colleagues. He's my brother. He's my friend, Marcus Spears. Obviously, this guy was a first-round draft pick of the Dallas Cowboys. He played nine years, had one year in Baltimore. Everybody knows him as the guy with the pick six in the national championship, showing off those running skills. And now he's a rising star at ESPN, one of the best in the business, both college and NFL football. They need to start getting my boy on basketball because he can do that too. Marcus, what's up, man? Welcome to Face First as my first ever guest, bro. R.C., first of all, I'm honored. That's number one. Second of all, man, you know I do this for you anytime, bro. <laughs> uh, appreciate the introduction. I'm going to hold all them accolades against you when we start arguing. <laughs> hey, you. But here's the. <laughs> hey, when we start arguing, though, I'm not saying none of that. <laughs> hey, you go straight up be little bro. That was a freshman when I was a senior, so don't even worry That's about it. that. <laughs> That's it. And you got the. And you got that big, the big bowl ring. So <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta shut it down. You got the Trump card, man. Oh man, for sure. <clears throat> so, so Marcus, man, I've been talking about. You know, I know this said this. This was the year of the black quarterback. For me, this is mm. the year that the players started to have their own voice. The players started to control where they played and what the narrative was around the things surrounding them. And I'm going to get straight to it. You, you kind of saw what happened with me and Jamal, us communicating mm -hmm. throughout the trade deadline show, him saying that if he was going to be traded, he wanted to go to Dallas. And then the subsequent fallout from the tweet about Joe Douglas and them having a conversation, but he was still being shopped. And now Jamal saying he felt disrespected. He mentioned Aaron Donald, Tom Brady, how you don't take calls from those people. What's yeah. your, how do you see this and what's your view of both the Jets organization and Jamal Adams? Well, first of all, RC, on, on the whole situation, man, I'm, you know, you and I have had a, a number of talks about this new movement that's going on. And it is. So if, if anybody is uh, fighting the old guard and, and not trying to be involved in the evolution of the game with players understanding the business model more, they need to probably tune out and watch something else. With that being said, you know, I had, it, it was two-part for me. Um, the, the obvious first initial of shopping Jamal was, was 
going to just be honest. I was like, what the hell are they doing? Um, when you got a stalwart defensive player, when you got a guy, even though your franchise is going through a through a tough time right now, you at least have a guy that can be a cornerstone. So I don't know how much you move on from that unless you just blowing everything up and you trying to start from scratch. Um, the second thing is, man, we have conversations with, with young players all the time. And I'm just still not an old guard in this regard. I'm, I don't like them doing business publicly. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, there, there, there needs to be a strategic plan when you do go public with this type of stuff. Because my, my, my experience, in my opinion on it, is when you have to talk more than two or three times about the same thing, you weren't prepared for what was coming after that, right? Like, we okay. make definitive statements in our job, and that's what people respect, especially about what you do, RC at ESPN. You make definitive statements, and then you move on, right? Unless somebody asks you a question and you're right. ready for those questions and you're ready to respond. I just have a hard time um, with the young generation playing things out business-wise publicly. Now, as far as him feeling shaded or slighted by the Jets, you know, I understand that from a personal relationship standpoint, especially if he had a conversation with right. with uh, Adam Gase and Joe Douglas. Right. But at the same time, like, as you grow in this business, you will realize that you are a number. He's number 33 to the Jets. Mm-hmm. He's good while he's worth whatever he's worth. And if they get, like Joe Douglas said, and he talked out of both, um, said that he was absolutely not up for a trade, but we didn't get the right offer. Right. Or what right. And so his Jamal, value was. So, I don't mean to cut you off. So Jamal's tweet was, at the end of the week last week, I sat down with the GM and Coach Gase and told them I wanted to be here in New York. I was told yesterday by my agent that the GM then went behind my back and shopped me around to teams, even after I asked him to keep me here. Crazy business. So my question to you in that is, is his issue or is this more about Jamal trusting people whose number one business is the actual business of football? No question. No question. RC, and and, and it's a harsh reality, but you play 13 years. You understand, like, at some point, you're going to realize that your value in your mind is nowhere near what they value you at. Mm-hmm. And, and and most of the time in these situations, they're looking to devalue you. That That's a part of the business structure. And I know a lot of people hate to hear that, but you've been in free agency meetings. You When, when you were up for contract, they tell you all of the history about injury. Man. They tell you what you didn't do. They tell you why they you, tell you can't what, do it. Why you can't do it to devalue and and save them money because that's the business. Now you have to be the type of player that's like, okay, I understand this model, so let me approach it that way. I'm just not a big proponent of the feelings being hurt, man. And and maybe maybe I'm you know I was in I was in one place for eight years, um, and I had things happen throughout my career. Like I was I was up for a new deal before the lockout. And they were able to um, they were able to just prolong that and buy another year because of the lockout. But at the at the end of the day, I, I was mad, but it wasn't it wasn't gonna do me any good talking about Jerry Jones or talking about they I don't trust them and they slighted me. That's business. 
if you can save thirty to forty million dollars if you're a general manager, you gonna that's do it. applauded. Right. That's applauded by ownership. So I think players just gotta understand that, especially in Jamal's situation, because look, he's in year three. Jamal is gonna get a huge contract. More than likely it ain't gonna be the damn Jets no more. Right. But he has to understand that this process, you're always up for trade. Like you that that is always a possibility. It's a few guys that you would consider untouched. Well, but you heard him, um, Marcus. He, he he spoke about the Tom Brady's and the Aaron yeah. Donalds, though that that those guys that you wouldn't field calls on players like that. And he feels like he's in that category. Is he wrong to believe that? Because when I look at this team, right, every, everything's yeah. is you got to keep it in perspective per team. For this team. He is that guy. He is the best player on the team. He does play harder than anyone out there. Is he no wrong doubt. to feel like he shouldn't get – you shouldn't accept those calls? Because it's more about respect and honesty when I'm looking right. at the situation. RC, let me ask you this question. You know me. You know how I am. Me and you get gutter-gutter when we talking. For sure. Did Jamal not watch what happened to Khalil Mack in Oakland? You're right. Yeah. Like, was that story not everywhere? And how many times did you and I say you don't get rid of a generational player? But with as much anger as people had about that, what Khalil Mack's situation did was, man, this business. Like, this dude is going to be one of the greatest defensive players to ever play. Right. Right? Just And what I'm saying is just like Jamal talked about Aaron Donald and Tom Brady, it's Khalil Mack's situation. Is a lot of guys. I was in Dallas when EO was traded. I was in. Um, so this is not like what's happening to him is not new for people that's been around the game. It's new for him because now it's personal. But that's what I would tell Jamal. Like, look, yo, this is a part of doing business in this league. The great thing and the most leverage is the the film that you have. Um, when when people look at it. Mm-hmm. And always keep in mind it's 31 of them. So, okay, here's my like, question. So, always, yeah. fin- go and finish. You can finish. Uh, the, I, w- I was like, you always got to keep in mind that it's 31 other teams. The biggest thing for me, though, is Twitter, right? I feel like, I feel like yeah. guys go to Twitter and your fingers get to no. move faster than your brain does. And, and you have yeah, some issues that kind of bring on things. Cause nobody, usually nobody asks you what you're a- answering on Twitter. Twitter is right. it's, it's a thought you have. And nobody asks you that question. Like I used to always tell my kids when they would volunteer information to me, I would be like, did somebody yeah. s- whisper that to you? Did somebody whisper right. and ask you that? Cause I didn't want that. So Baker Mayfield yesterday gets into it with one. If I know you love Baker too. Gets into it with oh, one of the reporters, uh, uh, a reporter that, that that's local. And you know how the local dudes do. do. They, yeah. can, they can keep asking you questions. They know which buttons to push. And he walks off. He storms off. And then he tweets, everybody wants to hear the truth until they actually get it. I am who mm-hmm. I am, and I've always been. Don't call it emotion when it's convenient and then passion when it fits. I care about winning. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm frustrated. And if I was to act like it was okay to lose then y'all would say I've gotten complacent. I know you've had a lot of feelings about things that Baker Mayfield says, and a lot of those things go to the fact that you feel like he hasn't been playing well. So with this latest situation, what would be your advice to him if you were one of those guys in that locker room? 
I would tell Baker, you have to quietly go about your business and you have to put things in perspective before you open your mouth. Um, and RC, you know my track record with Baker, man. I mean, from a football standpoint, I, I just don't think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread like everybody tried to make it. Um, coming into this, coming into his uh, rookie year, everybody talked about his moxie and how how he has a chip on his shoulder. Nobody in history has ever said that was a bad thing to have. Nobody has ever said that. It is bad when you have it, though, and it's arrogant. Mm-hmm. That's when it's bad. And that's what I felt about Baker Mayfield. Like, we come from a generation of guys where you got to earn my respect, bro. Like, you don't come into this locker room making statements about other players around the league and just being ordained the leader. And maybe and maybe this is the new generation. That's why I always say that. Maybe this is how they're operating now. Because you and I are no longer in locker rooms. We talk to players, but we are no longer in locker rooms. I've just always felt like the moxie and chip on his shoulder has been the excuse for him to be arrogant and been the excuse for him to be just just do dumb things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be honest with you, in the year of the black quarterback, black quarterbacks don't get that pass. Like 100%. When Cam Newton, when Cam Newton came, didn't go to that interview, dog, we, we thought they was going to try to put Cam Newton in jail. It was like he committed a crime. Um, and and I'm and and that was bad too. That's what people don't understand with with you and I. That was bad too. Right, and we Cam talked about it. and we and we talked about and we would have chastised Cam about that. But I just don't understand. I have never understood the 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 love affair with Baker Mayfield when it comes to him being disrespectful and 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 somehow disrespectfulness and arrogance turned into moxie and a chip on your shoulder. Well, well, that, well, that the, just hadn't sit well with me. The man. other part of that is, Marcus, is, is we've seen that disrespect, moxie, arrogance is okay when you're a winner. If you look, at, if you look at two of the guys, for me, from a coaching perspective that are possibly or probably the greatest at their profession when you look at Bill Belichick and yep. Greg Popovich. Absolutely. To to watch our fellow colleagues and people who do the jobs that we do now try to interview these guys and try to get information out of them and be made to look stupid many times or given very short answers or really not allowed to do their jobs because your job is predicated off of what they give you. Yeah. Do ba- yeah. this? This is how Baker Mayfield gets treated, and it's because you know he won a Heisman and he was successful as a rookie. And I think now that that has turned on him because of play, that's the biggest issue with Baker Mayfield. If Baker Mayfield was balling, Marcus, do you feel like we say the same things or you hear that? I think you would because I understand how you see him, but I don't know if he gets this negative attention from the rest of the national media if he's still playing well. Right, but you you are 100% right, but I will say this as well. Do you remember when I said before this season started, if it does not go well, there will be a firestorm on Baker Mayfield like he's never seen before, bro. The one thing we know about about when you go to professional leagues is that nobody feels sorry for you anymore. Like there is no there is no um there is no Gundy to come in and say, I'm a man. Talk about talk about <laughs> right. me. I'm, I'm forty, like, which I am now. Yeah, I'm forty. <laughs> like nobody coming to your rescue once you and we 
You and I both had to go through that because we were play, we were players. We were prominent players on good teams. We had to go through periods in our career when people was like, and, and I know for you more so because, you, like, he ain't good enough. Yeah. He ain't no first run. You had to sift through all of that. And you know what you had to do, R.C.? You had to quietly go about your business and prove to everybody. Yeah, I had to swa- you, you, you had to swallow a lot. You got to swallow it. Yeah. And that's my thing. Like, I, I know that I know that the excuse makers for Baker Mayfield is going to say, well, that's what makes them great. No, it's not. Throwing touchdowns and playing well make you great. Right. Like, and, and when I when I continue to say nobody cares about the chip on your shoulder, I'm more so talking about players in the league. R.C., you know Baker Mayfield came into that league with dudes that are that had no idea what type of person he was, yeah. but just had a vendetta. A well, vendetta the other, the other, the other thing everything. is this, Marcus, and this is my problem with Baker. You're a first-round pick, man. You are the first overall pick. That chip you're trying to manifest now is gone. It's gone. You can save it. You're no longer a walk-on. It's no longer people Man. don't believe in you. And I think that's what has rubbed people the wrong way. But to me, when you don't play well, that's an, that's an issue. You, you can't behave this way and be who he has become. And I think that's what's going to, if he doesn't change the play, that's going to lead him out of the league. My last thing for you is this, Marcus. If there was one thing you would have liked to have seen done at the trade deadline that wasn't, whether it was a player getting traded for a team or a team giving up a player or getting a player, what would it have been? I wanted to see A.J. Green get the hell out of Cincinnati, man. I 100% Um, And and I heard a lot of people talk about A.J. Green and he likes Cincinnati. You just hate to see – I felt like this about Calvin Johnson as well. Like, you just hate to see dudes like that, great dudes, like – Nobody. AJ Green is quiet. Goes about his. That don't have to be everybody. But that's we talking about AJ Green right now. Right. He has he has the talent to be one of the biggest stars in the NFL. But he's just he's in Cincinnati. They haven't done anything since he's been there, and this dude literally could change a franchise. If he was to join a team that was either right on the cusp of having success, or even if he even if he just went to new scenery and found out, damn, it's different out here. Um, so, when, when, and, and I know the popular ones was was the Eagles getting a secondary guy and Trent Williams possibly coming from um, Washington right. and going somewhere. Von Miller name was slung around and all of that. For me, I was like, damn, I wish AJ could have got out of Cincinnati, man. No, I love, um, I love that, though, because I, yeah, I, play, I played against dude. He, he's a difference maker. You're right. He, he yep. goes about his business. And I don't want to say it's the right way because I don't want to say people who actually speak up for themselves are wrong. Right. But AJ Green has been the model football player in the locker room and on the field. I would have liked to seen him get somewhere else. Marcus, I'm not going to hold you no more, no more man. I'm... I can't tell you how grateful I am that you are my first guest. I'm sure we got a lot more TV to do, a lot more radio to do to, do together, but I know you get a very few days at home, man. Go enjoy your family, and I really appreciate you, bro. Anytime, R.C. You know what it is, man. We ain't changing, bro. We just getting better. Yes, sir. I love you, boy. I love you, too, homie. Yes, sir. Later. I mean, it was awesome to have Marcus Spears come on and talk about some things that I know he's passionate about and – for me, all of those different situations involve 
different individuals, individuals, but the one thing remains the same. You need to take control of your own career, your own narrative. And the reason for Face First and the reason that I chose this podcast, I chose this name was because I was part of a great organization. I had an amazing career. I was an undrafted guy who worked his butt off and made it to Pro Bowls and Super Bowls and got an opportunity to play with some of the greatest people in the greatest organization in the world. But I understood what it was like to wear a helmet. I understood what it was like that my message had to be the message of the team. And when that message was different, when that message changed from what they want, you were reprimanded. You were sent to the office. You were you had to go see the principal. And that's difficult. But you understand that that organization is what allows you to feed your family. And it is a blessing. But I was listening to Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson on All the Smoke. And Matt Barnes said, you know, he had to play a game after a close family death. But no one knew that because you don't get to be human. You don't get sick days. You don't get holidays. And so now as I move into this new phase of life, you're trying to find ownership of something. And what you can control is the ownership of your voice. And I think what's happening is these younger players are realizing that a lot earlier than we did when I'm outside of football and I'm searching for a passion or searching for a way to be fulfilled and content every day because now you don't get wins and losses. And so you find a way that you can bridge that gap between being measured and understanding what your worth is as a man. And that's difficult for players. And you now want control of yourself and control of your voice. And I'll leave you with this story. And here's my thing for the day. I, we had a bad year after winning the Super Bowl and we were getting letters and being treated and it's, it's fans saying that we should all be back on slave ships and different things and the media is attacking my teammates. And so I have a conversation with the media about themselves and about fans and I get called to Art Rooney Jr.'s office to talk about these things and he's telling me you should never go against the fans, you should never go against the media, no matter what they say, they're always right. And at the time, I would get my food catered to camp so I could stay on campus and sign all the autographs possible and see as many fans possible. And I was two years removed from losing my spleen and my gallbladder and 45 pounds and coming back to play. And I did that in Denver. And then we were going back to Denver and I begged and begged to play because I just knew that games were important and you needed to play as much as you can possibly play because at one point, it was gone. And I sit there and listen to Art Rooney Jr. tell me this for 30 minutes about how I can't say certain things and how I shouldn't talk about certain people and how you should just accept certain things. But it wasn't OK to me because I couldn't go home and look at my kids and look at my wife and feel like I more than anything respected myself enough that day to speak up. So I told him, I said, you know what? My dad didn't give me this team. This team wasn't in my family. I don't have this opportunity and I don't get to sit in your office because it was handed down to me. I was blessed. I worked. God put me here and I lost organs for this organization. And that's more than you've given, at least physically. But that's how I felt. And then I got a call two hours later that Coach Tomlin said, you know what? I had to go in and save your job. But on that day, it was OK to me. Because what was important was respecting myself and being able to look in the mirror and say, today you did it your way. And so for the rest of the time, no matter how long I get to do this, 
I'm going to sit in front of this microphone, stand in front of these cameras and do it my way and say the things that I feel need to be said. And if one of my brothers need to get on here and talk about how hard retirement is and talk about what it's like to win championships, whatever it is, whatever I feel needs to be shared, whatever is on my heart, you're going to get it here. You're going to get it here. And it's going to be at the face value of what we feel, what I feel and what I think you all need to know. I appreciate you guys tuning in. This is just episode one. Promise it's going to get better. Thank you.